Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I was thinking of the theme for today's program since I'm going to be talking with Tom Nichols and I, I'm opting for cranky takes because there's a lot to be cranky about and I'm in kind of a cranky mood and I can't speak for Tom, but well, I, you know, hey, by the way, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Charlie. Um, okay. I'm with Thank you. I'm the, the cranky, the cranky takes. Um, I think we're there. Because oh, I, I, I'm having a hard time deciding where to begin with all the things that are going on. I mean, the Murdoch properties going all in. I mean, you have the Wall Street Journal uh, deciding that it is going to publish this uh, a letter to the editor from uh, the former guy, of, which I described on Twitter as a farrago of lies. I should point out that newspapers are not in any way morally, ethically, legally you know, required to publish uh, you know, pure bullshit. Most newspapers have certain standards, and if you're going to be you know, engaging in a diarrhea of deception, um, they have the right and perhaps even the journalistic obligation to not run it. But the Wall Street Journal, formerly known for having standards, decides to run uh, Trump's op-ed piece, which is just filled with misinformation about Pennsylvania. And then, of course, Fox News, and stop me if you've heard this before, proving once again that there is no bottom. Uh, see, I wanted to back into this. The Tucker Carlson new, completely revisionist, um, I am the new Alex Jones paranoid rant about January 6th. I mean, it was a hell of a day for the Murdochs, wasn't it, Mr. Nichols? It's, oh, it, Nichols. it Professor sure was. Nichols, ex-Professor Nichols. Yeah, it, 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 was, um, it was quite the run that... Um, went right from, you know, Tucker right through to uh, Laura. And the whole, I mean, the whole evening lineup has become the Alex Jones uh, tribute band uh, at this point. Okay, so and, for and people I mean, it's astonishing. Yeah. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, let's just play a little bit of uh, this way. Tucker is introducing this weird little video documentary that, that he's running here. So here's Tucker auditioning for a spot on InfoWars. The helicopters have left Afghanistan, and now they've landed here at home. And the left is hunting the right, sticking them in Guantanamo Bay for American citizens, leaving them there to rot. We are dealing with an insurgency in the United States. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to homeland. I've been told that I'm a white nationalist. Me. FBI, throw your hands up. They've begun to fight a new enemy in a new war on terror. Not Al-Qaeda. White supremacy. False flags have happened in this country. False flags. The hell? One of which may have been January 6th. This truth is marching on. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted wow. to, to, to quote Socrates, who uh, you know once was presented with something like this, and says, fuck me. I mean, yeah. what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> okay, that, that he said it in Greek. He didn't actually say it that way. So, in the original Greek, it was like, uh, I, I, it is. Um, you know, this is. I mean, we're laughing about it, but somewhere, no, somewhere, no. you know, there's a somebody's thinking. Okay, I guess I I have to engage in violence. Uh, you know, this is this is this is this crazy. Be, this is beyond. You know, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh bitching about liberals and and you know. The, the late rush, you know, going on about the lefties. This is paranoid, um, manic, uh, crazy town, and it's and it's it's dangerous. And I mean, what 
all because what? Because Tucker once got fired and he likes being on TV and he's going to do whatever it takes to hold an audience. I mean, what, what are these people? Yes, turn- I mean, on a very personal the, level, what, you know, what are these people turning into? I said, you know, uh, the, the usual default setting is to say, well, he's doing this for clicks and ratings, but, or for, for money. But the reality is, um, he doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to go full Alex Jones. Uh, there, there, this is not required. But the, yeah. the, this this revisionist history of January sixth is 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 really gathering momentum that it, that that it was not only a patriotic uh, event. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's mixed messages. Is is it a patriotic event or was it a false flag event? Which is of course a big Alex Jones thing. Um, whatever. But but you made an interesting point there, and I I tried to make this in my newsletter today. You know, we have 300 million people in this country. If only 1% of them are um, deranged by rhetoric like this and prone to violence, that that's 3 million people. It doesn't take a lot of people. And we have had warnings after warnings in this country. I, but I was watching Tom Cotton and company demagoguing yesterday about the threats against the school boards, demagoguing with Attorney General Merrick Garland. And you know what really hit me? Yesterday was three years to the day from the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue in, in Pittsburgh, where 11 Jews were murdered by a guy who was upset about immigrant caravans. And of course, you know, it was 10 months after that that you have a guy who kills 23 people in a Walmart in El Paso in response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. I mean, a year ago, you had 13 guys who were arrested for plotting to kidnap and maybe murder the governor of of Michigan. And then, of course, you had five people die in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And these all sort of been sh- uh, sobering moments, just reminders that that this, this sort of rhetoric and lies, and conspiracy theories can have horrific consequences. And yet instead of going, whoa, maybe we got to dial it back a bit. What do you have from Tucker Carlson? Let's let's go. Let's push it. Think- let's push it even harder. I think you were uh, when you were talking with Nicole Wallace about this and she was one who made the point that, you know, we all keep talking about, oh, there's going to be like I just did it. You know, oh, there's going to be a tragedy. And as she pointed out, no, the tragedies are already in progress. We're already in the post tragedy phase. Right. Um, And and there's going to be more tragedies. And, you know, I think that the odds of another, you know, McVeigh kind of incident are getting to be close to 100 percent with this kind of rhetoric. But I I take, you know, I take your point. That's why I keep saying I kind of on a very personal level, I wonder what have these people become? I mean, what goes through your mind when you say, look, my job is secure. I'm a gazillionaire. I've got all the, you know, viewers in the world, but I'm still, I'm still going to nonetheless create this completely psychotic piece of tape, you know, that, that I'm going to put out there that I know is just pure crazy, uh, and see what happens just because I can. Uh, It's like you say, it's the guys at the, you know, the guys at the op-ed page at the Wall Street Journal, you don't have to do this. You know better than this. Um, you know, you, you you didn't you didn't have to, like, print this blast of nonsense uh, from a former president. I mean, you know, you were once a respected paper. What have all of you become that you're willing to do this? And I think that's, I, you know, I, 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 I like you, I started with, well, everybody's got to, you know, I guess everybody's got to pay the mortgage and, no, you no. know, sometimes got it. Sometimes people do terrible things to pay the mortgage, but I think it's gone. It has gone beyond that, uh, that it's even beyond cynical. I mean, I think that there are some of them who just have almost like, um, huffed this kind of grandiosity that says, you know, we are going to control this country 
by riding the tiger of a bunch of completely psychotic Americans. Yeah, it's almost as if they are uh, testing. It is like the stress test. How far can we push things? How far can I go? Right. What might actually happen? Um, the chaos would benefit me, but but it's it it, it is reckless. It's deeply immoral, um, and there's really no excuse any longer. Not that there has been for a long time for people like Paul Ryan, who continues to cash his check from the Murdoch sitting on the Fox board. I re-upped my open letter to him, but uh, look, I mean, it's it's you know it's long past time. He's not going to step up. Because it's not I, I, I don't want to use the word normalize, but OK, so you, you were referring to my conversation with Nicole Wallace yesterday on uh, on cable. And it was an interesting exchange because I, I, I did go through, you know, some of the tragedies that have already taken place. And I'm saying, you know, someday there's going to be something really, really awful um, with the implication that that would be the oh, my gosh, you know, things have gone too far. But she, I think, legitimately pushed back and said, well, we've already been there. I mean, when you have 11 Jews killed in a synagogue with a guy who is, you know, ranting, uh, you know, ranting about the, the caravans, when, when you have more than 20 people in El Paso murdered by a guy who is echoing Trumpian rhetoric about an Hispanic invasion, it's already happened. And yet, and it's like all of these red lights should be flashing and yet we've blown past them. And you had that demagoguery yesterday uh, in front of Congress, which was which was stunning. So, okay, on this theme of violence, because I'm I am, I, I, you know, Charlie. I think one. Yeah, okay, well, I was going to say one other thing <clears throat> that I think. <clears throat> excuse me, if we're trying to figure out, you know, what are they doing at Fox? What are they doing at the mm. Wall Street Journal op-ed page? I think also there is this weird, as as deadly as all this is, there is this weird unseriousness where everyone in these organizations have kind of adopted this troll persona yeah. that where they say, Hey, here's a cool thing. Let's put Trump on the op-ed page and that'll piss everybody off that we don't like. Fuck those guys. Yeah. You know? And, and it's like, yeah, okay, great. Fuck those guys. You did, you know, you annoyed a whole bunch of people. You made your regular readership, you know, chuckle on their way to the, to the, to the gym or to their office um, and in the meantime, you are enabling something that could be potentially catastrophic and you don't even, you don't even care. It doesn't even occur to you that uh, you're, you're basically okay. destroying the constitution and enabling lunatics. At this okay. Point. So, so for people who think that we are alarmist about all of this, and I, I am sort of focused on what happened yesterday with the United States Senate, where you had, you know, alleged grown up Republican senators beating up on Merrick Garland, demanding that he resign because he's taking the threats against school board members seriously. It's not just school board members. Uh, you know, we have had story after story more or recently about what's going on with elections officials uh, and the secretaries of state who are testifying about the the threats. Let's play some of those, some of the audio of, of this. This is a voicemail that was left for uh, Katie Hobbs, who is the Arizona secretary of state. Listen to this. I am a hunter, and I think you should be hunted. I'm a, I think you should be hunted. Um, yeah. Here's here here's another one. Here's here's another voicemail from uh, one of our one of our MAGA citizens. I would like to say, Katie Hobbs, pain is coming. There's no place to hide. Your elections were a fraud. And then there was the guy who spit out, you know, die, you die, bitch, die. All of all of that. 
Here is Commissioner uh, Al Schmidt. I believe he is a Republican election official from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And, and he's describing the kinds of threats that he received for doing his job. And remember, he is a Republican for doing his job counting the votes. Listen to this. I am a Republican, and I believe that counting votes in our democracy is a sacred responsibility. For doing my job counting votes, I'd like to quickly share with you some of the messages sent to me and my family. Tell the truth or your three kids will be fatally shot. Included our address, included my children's names, included a picture of our home. Cops can't help you. Heads on spikes, treasonous schmitz. You betrayed your country. You lied. You're a traitor. Perhaps cuts and bullets will soon arrive at, provides my address, names my children, rhino stole election, we steal lives. There are additional threats that my family asked me not to share today because they are so graphic and disturbing. I have three little kids. My youngest is seven years old. No matter what our party affiliation, this is not okay. And yet, the, we're blown past all this. I, I, all around the country, there are reports of people of, of having difficulty getting people to work on elections, to show up. I mean, th this has real consequences. This is all happening in real time. There's a lot of things going on here. I mean, one of them is, um, again, you know, that we need to turn to our fellow citizens and say, what have you become? What are, what happened? You know, I, I was having a discussion with somebody the other day, you were, you know, that, that these people were raised better than this. I mean, is this the kind of thing, is this how you were brought up? Because it probably wasn't. What's happened to you that you somehow now think this is okay, that you somehow think this is normal? And, and not just over political differences, but over, over crackpot conspiracies that, you know, it, it, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, you might have thought were ridiculous. I mean, how much, uh, you know, this is, this is literally like someone who's done enough drugs that you're having, you know, that you're just like freaking out and having, you know, thinking that, um, uh, you know, that there, there are people coming in your windows. Okay, but that, so, and that's one right, right. that's one part of it. But the other part yeah. of it is the close, the immediacy of the Internet where, you know, someone pointed out to me after I'd gotten a rash. Anytime Fox mentions me, I get all kinds of crazy stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, well, you know, Fox, they know what they're doing. Um, but, but um, it, you know, a friend of mine pointed out, he said, you know, back in the old days for somebody to, to, to send you, you know, hate mail, they'd actually have to go and like go to the library. <laughs> you know, pull out a phone book or, right. <laughs> you know, figure out, uh, you know, where in Wisconsin does Charlie, you know, what, what is the radio station, you know, and now yeah. you can go right from the impulse that, that 10 seconds of rage and you can just immediately act on it. And then what happens is even if an hour later you say, Hey, maybe I shouldn't have called somebody up and threatened their children. Now you're in a shame spiral and you say, the only way I can get out of this is to keep doubling down on it to convince myself I was right. And, and it'll only be another 24 hours until Tucker's back on TV and he'll tell me I was right too. Um, you know, and, and, and so you just, it just builds and builds and builds until, you know, you're walking around a per, a, someone who, you know, maybe 10 years ago is a perfectly normal person. You're walking around saying, yeah, it's perfectly okay to threaten somebody's children because, uh, 
because he's an election official in Philadelphia. Right. And, and, and again, are, are there people who take this literally, who believe that when you're talking about, I can't wait to see your face turn blue when you are hanged to death, when when there are people out there who are thinking, you know, that that's that's a reasonable response. OK, so let's talk about what again, I, coming back to, to yesterday. So Merrick Garland, who is a very mild mannered guy, you know, put out a memo earlier this month directing the FBI and U.S. attorneys to meet with local law enforcement, right, to open dedicated lines of communications for threat reporting, assessment and response in response to this rising tide of threats against school board members and educators. And, and he was he was careful to distinguish legitimate free speech from threats of violence. He, he, he wrote, while spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education in a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. Okay, so Tom Nichols, until five minutes ago, that would have been completely uncontroversial, right? That's exactly, and, and we'd all go, yes, you know. Right. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, um, what kind of communism is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but I think, I think what's really interesting about the objection to what Gar to, to this whole business with Garland is imagine if he had said that, and imagine if it were 1972 and Garland had said that about the weathermen and that yeah. this was all left-wing violence and that people were getting phone calls saying, you know, that these election officials were getting phone calls saying, listen, pig comes the revolution. You're first against the wall when the people, will, you know, uh, cut you down and hoist the red flag over your debt. The same, these same people would be saying that there isn't a police state big enough to deal with that threat. Jesus. And, and the, the hypocrisy involved because, because it's their team, it's their tribal belief that an election was stolen, which of course is, you know, well. nuts. Um, they're, now they're like, well, you can't possibly ask the FBI to stop us from terrorizing local officials when it, if it were the left doing it, if the, if this were, you know, again, if this were the weathermen or, uh, something they'd be saying, you know, um, have the FBI put into every school board meeting. I mean, it, it is, it is amazing the degree to which the right has become the left. Well, in, 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 in this particular, well, because they've decided, look, the Republicans have decided that that school boards and, and schools are the center of uh, of the culture war right now, including in my hometown here in in in, in Mequon. So you had that theater of the deplorable yesterday. Um, Ted Cruz, Ben Sass, uh, Josh Hawley um, lashed out at Garland for this. Uh, Tom Carton, um, you know, decided he wanted to uh, raise the performative assholery uh, standard uh, even higher, um, saying that Garland should resign in disgrace over this memo. So, I mean, they're all in on this educational culture war. And so I think that there's every reason to expect the temperature is going to keep rising. Um, but also, but, let's and go it's back. The, and it's the yes. long game of driving people out of local government and, sure. and to replace them with lunatics who then become the only farm team there is for state and federal government. Um, See, this, this you know, by the way, is an important point, because what's happening is the rational players are self-deporting themselves, both from the Republican Party, but then from these local government jobs. I mean, who wants to be on the school board if this is the shit you have to put up with? 
Right. 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 And 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 a lot of these local boards are are nonpartisan or only you know nominally partisan. Um, but again, too, it is this this generation of a sense of grievance and misery. I mean, think about how miserable you have to be to show up at a school board meeting, you know, and it's like the line from Mean Girls. He doesn't even go here, you know, like you have people showing up. It's like, well, I don't have kids and I don't live in this district, but I just needed to, you know, my yeah. life is empty and meaningless. So I had to go to a school board meeting. Okay. Um, so and, and so, of course, people are going to say, you know what? There's probably a good movie on TV. I don't need to do this. So for people who think that we're being excessively alarmist, one more soundbite in, in, this, in this area. You've undoubtedly seen this, uh, Tom. Um, there was an event for Turning Point USA, which is uh, Charlie Kirk's organization. And a young man comes to the microphone to ask a question uh, about when we should start killing people. If, if, in, if in fact it's true, see, I mean, this is part of the thing is if you actually believe that the elections are stolen, if you really believe that our democracy has been hijacked, then I don't think people we should be surprised when people begin talking about violence. And here is um, here's a soundbite of a young man who is asking, OK, when do we move from the rhetoric to actually doing this? Two things here uh, I, I want people to listen to. Number one, listen to the crowd reaction to his question, but then also listen to Charlie Kirk's quasi sort of pseudo pushback. Let's play this. This is tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, not literally, where's Lit the line? How many elections literally. are they going to steal before we kill these people? So, no, I, 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 no, hold on. I, I'm, no, stop. Hold on. Now I'm going to denounce that and tell you why. Because you're playing into all their plans and they're trying to make you do this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I, when I first heard this, I thought, hey, good for Charlie Kirk pushing back. And then I thought, wait, wait, wait. He's pushing. I'm going to push back on that because you're playing into their hands. Not like, no, it's wrong to murder people. Right. He's it, he's not Kirk's, arguing. <laughs> so Kirk's pushback was, hey, 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 you're making us look bad. Yes. Exactly. And, and this is bad. And this is bad strategy. So, you know, Ixnay on the Illing K talk, you know, that that, uh, you know, lay off the killing people talk. Wink, wink, wink. Um, but again, what? You know, this is a young guy. You just, I, I mean, I, there's two things that occurred to me when I, when I heard this is, you know, is this how you were brought up? Is this the kind of citizen, yeah. is this the person you want to be, you know, that, that, that you literally, you know, fantasizing about killing your fellow citizens. And, and I'm sure the answer would be, well, they stole my election. Well, they didn't. And there's a, you know, taking a breath would help you get past that idea because of course, to believe what they're believing, you have to, you have to have this paranoid belief that all of the local election boards, that's the thing people don't understand in this country, we don't have some national election board that the, that the Democrats or somebody can say, change the vote. You know, this is the same argument you and I've had people on the left when they say, well, the Russians changed the vote. No, they didn't. P these are yeah. people in Wisconsin and Massachusetts and oh, Nebraska right, right, sitting right, at right, tables right. It's, counting it's, votes. It's, yeah, but it's it's crazy. But but let's and, let's and, and but the second thing you'd want to say to that guy yeah. is and and do what? What is it you're what is it you think is gonna happen right. when you know when Charlie Kirk says, Yes, it's time to start killing people. And Who? and then what? Who? 
Well, see, this is the this is the question that I've been asking with, with all the you know the, the the gunplay and the cosplay and everything, um, you know, and the Second Amendment rights and you know marching them around. Okay, who are you intending to use those guns on? I, I mean, the, this question doesn't get asked, and so in many ways, this this kid's question was logical. That if in fact you think your opponents are Nazis or every election's Flight ninety three, the election is stolen, you're constantly saying you know it's seventeen seventy six and we have to have our guns and everything. Well, when do we actually use them because otherwise what's the point well right, right. he's so, been... i mean there's a certain logical point where you've been talking and using this violent rhetoric you've been using this apocalyptic rhetoric at what point do we start to act on it and trust me this kid may be asking that question but there are a lot of folks sitting in their trailers at home who are thinking this in their heads right at what point do you act on it and they've been led there in a very logical progression. Right, right. You know, they've been led to that point by the implied and explicit arguments of these, you know, political charlatans who, as you say, keep saying it's Flight 93, we have to rush the cockpit, it's, um, you know, it's 1776, this is the day we, you know, Mo Brooks, right, we start kicking ass and taking names. And all of that stuff kind of, you know, goes goes right – it bypasses your brain and it goes right to your adrenal glands and into your balls uh, and, you know, into the pit of your stomach um, and, and kind of hits your fight or flight cortisol reaction, you know. And – but then to say, okay, what does that actually mean? Were you going to – you know, now for somebody like McVeigh, it says, okay, I have to strike at the federal government. I'm going to blow up a federal building. Um, it, you know, it could mean I have to start assassinating political figures. It means I have to, you know, lash out at, um, you know, people I think are my political opponents, like, you know, Charlie Sykes or Tom Nichols. Um, they, it, it, it just be, it just becomes this kind of frustrated lashing out of violence in every direction because the people who led them there, and you saw this with Kirk, don't want the responsibility for what happens next. So they leave that as a big blank spot. You know, they say, oh, it's 1776. We have to. And then what? And they say, well, I, I couldn't possibly say, you know, uh, let's not get crazy. Ta-. You know, Charlie said, no, I'm going to denounce that. Yeah, because you understand that you brought them bad. to this because it looks bad and you brought them to the edge of this cliff. And and you're patting them on the back as they step over it, but you're not you're not going with them because you well, know well, how he, wrong it is. Here's the other thing: is, is, that, is that I think that we haven't had until um, recently, you know, a, a lot of political violence in our time. Well, obviously, I've I've, I've listed you know El Paso and, and Pittsburgh, and you know, obviously January sixth. But uh, you you and I are old enough to remember back in the 1960s when riots, assassinations, uh, you know, felt commonplace. Serial I mean, bombings. Violent, uh, political murder. I mean, we, yep. we had, you know, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Gerald Ford was almost killed in 1975. Ronald Reagan was shot in 1981. Political violence is not completely alien to American culture if, in fact, emotions are whipped up. So, you know, maybe we had this period where we thought that was in the past. And so, therefore, we thought what it was cost free for people to uh, to engage in this kind of rhetoric. Um, but I, but I we, we, we've seen it of... in the past. And, and that's why I, I don't think that when you say we're going to have another, you know, Timothy McVeigh thing, I don't I that that's alarmist. But I think it's also, you know, a legitimate warning. You know, the Oklahoma City, bomb that's 25 years ago. All right. right. And and, you know, people, I think. You know, as you were 
going through that kind of butcher's bill, um, I think there was a kind of, again, a kind of seriousness and a kind of sense of red lines talking about stuff like this. Because if you were, say, in 1975, that means that in the 10 years, 12 years before 1975, 12 years isn't that long, you have seen the murder of a president, you've seen the murder of Martin Luther King, you've seen right. the murder of Robert F. Kennedy, you've lived through serial bombings of federal buildings by left-wing extremists. People forget mm -hmm. that you know it used to be the weatherman. political yeah. violence mm -hmm. in this country was was pushed a lot by, by Vietnam and and uh, in the early 70s. So, you know, by the time you got to the mid-70s, if you were, say, 30 or 35 years old, you'd already seen a lot of political violence. You maybe understood that there was a kind of line about this. And then five years later, six years later, you actually see on live television a president hit by bullets. You actually watched it in real time. And I remember that moment. I remember being on the phone with somebody in Washington. And, and it was like, hey, I got to turn on the TV. Something just happened. The president's been shot. You know, and like there's this electric jolt that goes through you. Of, oh, my God, what just happened? And I think now we live in this big reality show where it's like, you know, we talk about this kind of violence um, with almost a kind of, you know, it's like, well, it's just special effects on TV. And then somebody takes it seriously, as you point out, walks in, wipes out a synagogue, wipes out a, a, a Walmart or something. And the people on TV scramble not to say, what is our public responsibility here? How do we, you know, help bring this country back together? They say, quick, how do we assign blame to this so that we don't get this shit all over us? Yeah. How do I, we make this seem like this is the work of our enemies? Let me play for you one more crazy clip because I wanted to, since we're, we're, we're dealing with um, the level of insanity out here. And I, I have to say this, this, this one, um, since we're looking for cranky takes, um, you, you probably heard Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to the president of the United States, former, was he the director of the defense intelligence agency? Yep. Was that his title? Former three-star three okay. general, DIA. Yep. Uh, so here, here's Mike Flynn talking about uh, Dr. Fauci. Fauciism. Fauciism is a is a component of the health uh, side of fat of fascism and Nazism, ah. and it really does have to do with eugenics. And Fau Fauci, Dr. Fauci, would be right in right in there in the same room with people like Dr. Mengele and Dr. Zell, who worked for the Nazis at the time of uh, of, of Hitler's all of Hitler's experimentation on human beings. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this it just goes beyond. Cranky. It's really reassuring to know that a man in that position is completely batshit crazy, insane. Well, I mean, again, you have to you have to ask yourself how much of the performance has now become reality. How much of it, you know, I keep I'm haunted by by a, a, a quote that I use often because it haunts me, and that is Kurt Vonnegut about we have to be careful what we pretend to be. Uh, we are what we pretend to be, and so we have to be careful about what we pretend to be. And at some point, you know, you say this stuff, uh, you know, a general who knows him said to me one time, he said, you know, Mike's an expert in psychological operations. He knows what he's doing, and that makes him very dangerous. Um, but beyond that, it's, you know, it's like, is it just, is it, is it just a big um, kind of, you know, info op or a psychological operation, or have you started to inter... You say something enough times, you start to internalize it and believe it. 
And and that that's that. This is why Dr. Fauci has armed security with him. That, that this eighty-year-old doctor, a guy that most Americans had no knowledge even existed unless they were following his work from the eighties about AIDS, um, <clears throat> now has to have armed guards because because why? Because we had a a, a respiratory pandemic, and he wants people to wear masks and get vaccinated. I mean, what the this you know they're. They, now the F-bombs begin. You know, what the fuck yeah. is wrong with you that you would compare, you know, an American doctor to Mengele? I mean, this is, this is, that, that, somebody's going to take that seriously. It, it, it's, it's breathtaking, but it's dangerous. And so, you know, if, if somebody acts on this and does something terrible to Dr. Fauci, um, it, it won't be completely mysterious. And then this is, this is what I, I think that, there is a portion of the political class or whatever the hell we want to call this group that has completely forgotten this connection between these these crazy ideas and uh, and, and and action okay so i think we've, we've i think we've gone as far as deep into this hole as as possible can we just take a deep breath here just for a moment i just you know because is is i want i want to ask you about some other stuff on the other side here Thanks for listening to today's Bulwark podcast and a special thank you to all of the Bulwark Plus members. We launched Bulwark Plus a year ago, and I don't think we really had any idea back then how fast it would grow or the kind of challenges we'd all be facing in the post-Trump era. If you've been listening to us or reading our newsletters, the in-depth pieces on our homepage, you know that we are committed to telling you what we think in a thoughtful, non-tribal way. But we're also not going to pretend these are normal times, and we're not afraid to try to make a difference here at The Bulwark. And we intend to keep fighting because the challenges to democracy are more urgent than ever. None of this would be possible without your support, and we're very grateful. If you haven't signed up yet for Bulwark Plus, please consider becoming part of the Bulwark community. And if you already have, thanks. We think you're in great company. Okay, we are back with Tom Nichols. We continue our cranky takes. We have been talking about violence and 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 craziness. You, you know, I I have not uh, asked you, uh, Tom, about what's been going on in Congress with the Democrats with Biden, because uh, as you and I are speaking, there is this uh, this ongoing um, which analogy to search for Kabuki dance, uh, game of political chicken going on between the, the moderates and the, and the progressives. And I, and as of this moment, I have no idea how it's going to happen, except what is interesting to me are how many Democrats apparently number one, uh, think that failure is perhaps an option. And, and, and number two, watching the left and Democrats on social media convincing themselves that whatever deal they come up with is terrible and they need to be disappointed. They're about to get, let's just assume it all works, and they're going to get trillions of dollars in new spending. You know, $1 trillion in the bipartisan bill, you know, nearly $2 trillion in the reconciliation bill. That's $3 trillion. I am old enough to remember when people thought that was a lot of money. And yet, you have this incredible outrage industry out there like it's nothing we didn't get any of the good stuff we are we are determined to be disappointed and to declare whatever success biden has as as a failure have you noticed this how they're like yeah. whipping themselves into into a into disappointment that seems familiar to me there is a there is a tradition among the democrats of um preemptive rationalizations for defeat <laughs> i mean i've had this this just happened the other night. I gave a talk at the JFK, a virtual talk at the JFK library, and people kept asking me, what can we do? And I said, 
vote in large enough numbers so that they cannot be contested. And immediately the takes begin, you know, of, yeah, but what if they overturn it? What if Georgia, what if the Secretary of State, what if gerrymandering? I'm like, stop thinking up all the reasons you're going to lose and just show up in large numbers and vote. And, you know, yeah, but what if that doesn't work? Well, you know, it's like we're willing to try everything except winning. Um, and I think that this, the, the part of this that really kind of makes me nuts is that I think that the Democrats, and I think unfortunately this extends to Biden, they're not treating the, they're, they're not dealing with the fact that American democracy is on a precipice right now. And so this, to me, this is the metaphor that comes to my mind is American democracy is a guy who's just been in a terrible car wreck um, because Trump was driving and they've wheeled him into the ER. And this is meatball surgery, right? I mean, we've elected Biden. We've kept the patient alive. And the Democrats are now saying, well, you know, there's a couple of stitch lines that are going to leave a scar. And and it, you could have fixed his nose a little bit better. And, you know, maybe maybe, you know, you could... And it's like, hey, this is triage. We're trying to keep this thing alive. I mean, what is the end result? I keep wanting to turn to the Democrats and say, what's the end goal here? That you're going to teach us all a lesson by letting Biden lose and let the Republicans come back? I mean, you know, well, that won't be our fault. That's the answer. Well, that won't be our fault. No, yes, it will. Um, you know, right now, your job is to pass something, convince the American people that you're a governing majority. Um, you're not going to get everything you want. This is not the, you know, the arrival of the progressive um, millennium. And that, you know, your job is to keep American democracy alive, um, mostly by making sure the Republicans, you know, mostly by making sure people like Paul Gosar don't become, you know, committee chairs. Well, uh, you know, in, in Congress and instead and, and it's, it's, and it's and it's worse than that. Yeah. I, I mean, Molly Jongfast has this great line, but instead we're arguing about, you know, free eyeglasses. Well, Great. We can all argue about free eyeglasses when the Republicans completely take over the government. Well, I mean, David Frum has a piece in uh, in The Atlantic where he says it's time for campaign reporters to accept the fact that Trump is far and away the front runner for the 2024 nomination and all the dark and ugly things that follow from that reporting fact. Um, and, and right now, a Trump restoration is not far-fetched at all. And if Democrats do blow themselves up for whatever reason, for whatever reason they justify themselves doing, they're opening to the door to that. And I guess that goes to your point. If they had the real sense of urgency, if they really did feel that this was an existential threat, would they be behaving the way they are this morning? Um, I, 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 I've and, been and saying I this know. for, I've been saying this ever since the Democratic primaries you know, that I keep kind of taunting my Democratic friends by saying, listen, I'm a better Democrat than you are. Um, and I'm not even a Democrat. I'm going to show up and I'm going to vote to protect American democracy from the Republicans by voting for the Democrat. And, you know, I don't really care about you and I have said this many times to our friends on the left. I don't care about policy right now. You know, I'm, I, I mean, policies are things that we can change and we can argue about. Once the constitutional order gets gets torn down, that's the thing that's hard to put back. And they're like, yes, but um, but pre-K. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, um, none of you're not going to do better under a, a second Trump administration than you're doing now. Um, but they you know, this is this is part of the problem. 
of performativeness on the left, which is we have to be seen as, you know, in our bubbles, right? In our, just in the same way that the, that these red states and red districts produce extreme candidates, these blue states and blue districts produce candidates who just, who genuinely think like my job is to go and oppose Joe Biden. Um, and I know this is Biden's bill because my friends on the left, I'll say, but this is Biden's bill. The progressives are fighting for what Biden wants and cinema and mansion are the people holding it up. Well, if you didn't want two centrist senators to be a pain in your ass, then elect more senators. But for now, this is the lay of the land. This is the situation you're dealing with. And the question is, how much of this are you willing to fight over if it means losing Congress and potentially losing uh, the election in, in 24 to this basically criminal enterprise that Trump is running. Well, um, n- n- let these me, will let me, seem like silly things I, if if they will if that happens. Well, and then let me let me read the last uh, paragraph of uh, David Frum's piece in the Atlantic because uh, he is really trying to sound the the alarm here. He said uh, in Trump's first term, the country was protected to some degree by his ignorance and ineptitude. He kept trying to do bad things, but it took him a while to figure out how the controls operated, where the kill switches were located. By the time of his attempt to extort the Ukrainian president in 2019, Trump had achieved a higher level of mastery. But by then it was too late. Then the pandemic struck and Trump bumped into a new wall of failure. In a second Trump presidency, however, the burglars will arrive already knowing how to bypass the alarms and disable the locks. He'll understand that it's not enough to install an ally as attorney general. He must control the secondary and tertiary ranks of the Justice Department, too. He won't allow himself to be talked into another chief of staff with an independent sense of duty, such as John Kelly, who averted much harm from the middle of 2017 to the beginning of 2019. It'll be Mark Meadows types from day one to day last, and he'll bring with them a new generation of Republican office holders whose top priority will be rearranging their state's election laws so that Republicans do not lose power even if they lose the vote. That is the future Trump is preparing. Be ready. You know, and, and anyone if anything that knows, may understate it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Any, anybody who's been following David and, and who knows him knows that for David, that's that's like an air raid siren. Yeah. Um, you know, that this is not, I mean, he is not a man prone to this kind of uh, alarmism. And he's he's absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that struck me about the first Trump term, I remember Steve Bannon saying, I'm a Leninist, you know, I'm we're Leninists and we're going to destroy the state. And, and one of the things that I always chuckled about being a an expert on the Soviet Union and real Leninists, as opposed to <laughs> Bannon, was that, you know, anybody who studied the Soviet Union knew that personnel is policy. And, and while the Trump administration obliterated a lot of, um, you know, appointees and left off, you know, we used to joke that the two most common names at the Pentagon were vacant and acting, um, <laughs> that he, they never did fill in those second and third rank positions. David's absolutely right. This time they're going to come in with an entire package of appointees that will then, um, first of all, they will not be opposed by, if the, if the Republicans are in the majority, it's a shoe in And even if the Republicans only have a, a, are in a minority, feckless Democrats are not going to go to the wall to stop these guys because they didn't the last time. And you're going to get by, you know, by the time Trump's inaugurated, um, you'll have this whole team 
of professional vandals ready to just blow things up um, within the government um, for, and again, not for the, to help the common man and to finally be the voice of the downtrodden in the Ohio Valley and all that horse shit, but for, to protect um, and to further the criminal enterprise known as the Trump family. But the, the bigger thing to worry about, Charlie, is Trump is, even if he's the nominee, he's still likely to lose. What he's know. really setting, well, he'll, I don't know. I, I, he'll lose the popular vote hands yeah, down. Right. And, you know, Which the electoral college, you know, the elect, I mean, he will lose. I, I still think he'll lose the electoral college. I think there aren't enough people in enough states to, I mean, of course it depends, never underestimate the ability of the Democrats to do something completely insane and nominate someone who could lose. But I think in, in an ordinary circumstance, Trump could lose. What he's really setting up is the ability to generate political violence to cover his loss. And that, I think, you know, we've already had the greatest problem um, that, that we've ever seen since 1865, which is we did not have a peaceful transfer of power. We did not have an acceptance by the no. loser uh, uh, of the fair and free outcome in an election. The United States now bears the stain of, you know, we, we've been far more divided in our history. Um, and yet for this failed real estate developer, casino boss, whose daddy didn't love him enough, we finally broke a 200 plus year record of peaceful mm. transfers of power. And that's what's going to happen again. And that's what he's setting up. He's priming, he and Fox and all the other guys they, he is priming um, that when he, if he loses, if he is nominated and loses legitimately, he is priming the pump for people to start shooting at each other. Well, there's no question. I, I agree with that completely. Okay, so uh, let, let, let's end on the most important uh, debate of the entire week. I wanted to get your take on this because I'm not sure I know what your take is on this. Kirsten Cinemas, Denim Vest. Your thoughts? I as you can imagine, being um, being a public guardian of deportment, um, I found her um, uh, denim vest appalling. Um, I mean, I I think Kirsten Cinema is a fundamentally unserious person and a fundamentally unserious senator. But you know, I I worked on I had floor privileges on the U.S. Senate. I never walked on the floor of the Senate in anything but a business suit um, because my boss. Um, I mean, my boss actually once uh, this actually happened. I was joking with my boss. There was a senator named Don Nichols, and I said, mm -hmm. uh, "Remember him?" He said, "Gotta, gotta find Senator Nichols." And I said, "I'm right here, Senator." <laughs> and uh, you know, and he looked at me, and I was about 30 years old, and I hadn't gotten a haircut, and my tie was open, and he kind of gave me like John Hines of Pennsylvania, um, you know, Ooh. very, very handsome, well groomed, yeah. tall, good looking man, you know, and he said. Uh, Oh no, you're not Senator Nichols. I know Senator Nichols. He's very well groomed. Ooh. And I went, oh, oh shit. And I said, I'm getting a haircut today, Senator. And he nodded politely and said, okay, you know, but I, you know, that that there was a time that you did not set floor, set foot on this, the floor of this um sacred place, this part of our temple of democracy, you know, looking like you'd just come off the set of Sons of Anarchy. And I just think it's emblematic. I mean, it's not a, you know, is the Republican a fall because Kirsten Sinema is a weirdo? No. Um, does it, is it emblematic of the, you know, collapse of seriousness and the general kind of silliness of American politics in the 21st century? 
Absolutely. Yeah, but at least she was wearing shoes. Well, hey, I think she was small, small I, mercies. I don't, and I, I don't think know. the day where the day where cinema walks out there and you know flip flops or bare feet can't. Oh, it's going to happen. Behind. Oh, it's going to happen. The, the, the flip flip flops. You know, I mean, you, you might as well put the money down on it right now. Tom right. Nichols, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast <laughs> and all of our Thanks, cranky, cranky takes. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. And we'll do this all over again.